Welcome to The Skin Reel, your guide to all things skincare, skin health, beauty, and more, curated by dermatologists and true skin experts. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Alice Mina. I'm a double board certified dermatologist and dermatologic surgeon with over a decade of clinical experience. If you're looking for real, practical, unhyped skincare guidance and expertise, or you just think the skin is really cool, then you're in the right spot. I'm so glad you've tuned in to The Skin Reel. Now let's dive in because this is how dermatologists talk skin. Hi everyone, quick disclaimer here before we start. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. If you're looking for help on your skin journey, please check out the American Academy of Dermatology's website, aad.org, where you can search their database for dermatologists near you. It is so important that you have someone in your corner who's well-trained, licensed, and board-certified who can help you make decisions when it comes to your skin health. Okay, got it? Great. Now for the fun stuff. Hey guys, Dr. Mina here from The Skin Reel. This week, I'm really excited to have my colleague, double board certified dermatologist and pediatric dermatologist, Dr. Crystal Massey, who is going to talk about how we should be taking care of our babies and our young children's skin, and in particular, how what we see on the shelves can be a little bit misleading. And what I mean by that is just because something is labeled baby, unfortunately, it doesn't always mean it's actually safe or recommended for babies, which is total bummer, I know, because you would think if something's listed for babies, it should be safe for babies, but not always the case. And she's also going to be discussing with us how just because something says natural or says that it has botanicals, how that may not always be the best choice for your child. And I am so glad to have her on. Dr. Massey, like I said, is a board-certified dermatologist. She did her dermatology training at the University of Texas, followed by a fellowship in pediatric dermatology at Harvard Medical School. And she now practices in Wyoming, and she is the mom of two small children. So I'm so glad you guys tuned in for today's episode. I think there is a ton of value here if you are the parent of a small child or heck, the grandparent, or you just have friends with small kids. It's great to know this information and how we can take care of these little ones and their skin. Dr. Massey, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. All right. Well, so is baby skin or, and let's also just include like toddlers, preschoolers, not just a newborn, but is their skin really different from adult skin? Good question. It is a little bit different. And I think that's how we approach it a little bit differently in the pediatric dermatology. The first main difference, I think, is the easiest thing to understand, and that's just thickness, right? So baby skin is actually about half the thickness that you and I is. And so things are just absorbed a little bit easier and a little bit quicker through little baby skin. Now, obviously, as your baby progresses and becomes a toddler and gets older, it kind of thickens with time. But, you know, when babies first come out, it's about half the thickness. And then 
The other concept that's a little bit different too is the surface area of their skin. That ratio of that to their weight is also much larger. So they have much greater surface area compared to how much they weigh than you or I. And so that sort of also kind of plays into that how well things are absorbed systemically. So because they have such a big surface area, anything you put on their skin has a little bit higher chance of getting through and getting through at a higher level. And then the last thing that I think about too is just their ability to blister. So the connections between the two layers of the skin, the epidermis and the deeper layer, the dermis, just aren't really formed as well. And so they just blister a lot easier. So common rashes may have a, just a greater tendency to blister than if you or I had the same one. I should mention Dr. Massey not only is a pediatric dermatologist, but she is also the mom of two little ones. So she is in the throes of it right now with a, a five-month-old and a two-year-old, right? Yes, exactly. So all this is very pertinent. <laughs> and somehow when even when you're a dermatologist, when you have your own kids, it's different. You become mom and not necessarily derm mom. So sometimes you think like, I should know this. I should know what to do. But when it's your own kids, sometimes it's tricky. But we all know certainly babies and young kids, they certainly have softer skin. <laughs> I love how soft it is. For sure. For sure. Yes, they have perfect skin. And then when your toddler goes to school and they have a rash, <laughs> you're like, why? Why did my particular kid, why do I have a rash? They expect my kid's skin to be totally perfect. And it's totally not. But yeah, definitely have a lot more grace for everyone else when they come in. I'm like, look, I, I wish you could see my kid. She has the same rough bumps on the back of her arm. I don't have a great cure. If I did, my kid's skin would be perfect too. But they happened to everybody. And also when the neonatal acne comes out and you're trying to get those first photos with the photographer, right? You're like, wait a minute, my baby can't have acne for its pictures. But yes, even babies, even newborns can't get acne. So they certainly do get skin conditions and skin things. And we do need to be mindful about what goes on their skin. So what is a good, just basic skincare regimen for these little ones? Or do they not need one? No, I mean, I think it's for, so it's just starting out baby wise. I always have to remind parents like, it's okay to bathe your baby. Everyone's always a little bit nervous when they're newborn. And then I think pediatricians, their training is obviously a little bit different than ours. And anytime I have a patient come in with a little bit of baby acne, a little rash, my first question is actually, how often are you bathing? And oftentimes they say, oh, well, my pediatrician said once a week or every other week. And I'm like, no, <laughs> bathe your baby, please. Because just like you or I, they have oil that builds up, especially in those first five or six weeks of life. They have oil that builds up on their skin and they can get you know, bacteria and yeast that builds up that can cause rashes. So a lot of problems, especially early on, can be fixed just with more frequent bathing. So shower or bath at least every day or every other day or every day, as long as you're using a good cleanser that's not drying, you really won't get into trouble. So I always say, look for a fragrance-free hypoallergenic cleanser. My favorite brand is Vanna Cream. They're kind of the simplest ingredient list. And then after the bath, the most important thing is just moisturizing. So you don't have that drying effect of that water. 
So that's sort of the main thing. And that's the same thing I tell parents too when they start to bring their eight, nine, 10, 11 year old in and they're starting to get a couple blackheads here or there. Now's a really good time to sort of start adopting that. Like, this is how we take care of ourselves. This is how we take care of our skin and our hair. We need to shower every day. We need to wash our hair every day. And we need to start washing our face every day just to remove some of that excess oil and moisturizing and wearing our sunscreen. So I think the most important things are a nice gentle cleanser for your face, washing your hair every day with shampoo, and then good moisturizer with a little bit of sunscreen in the morning. Keep it simple. Great advice. And I know a lot of parents, especially parents of kids with sensitive skin or who are prone to atopic dermatitis or what some people call eczema, they are really nervous to bathe their kids, right? And they're worried that the water is going to be super dehydrating on them and just make it worse. So what are your thoughts on that? And what, how do you counsel those parents? Going back to just using a really gentle cleanser, you're not going to get into trouble. I think what gets people in trouble who have sensitive skin and eczema are the products that they're using and then lack of moisturizing. We know with eczema, dryness is a major issue and we have to replete all of that moisturization. And we know you're just more sensitive to products, whether it be irritants or actual allergens. Kids who have atopic dermatitis or eczema do have higher rates of allergic contact dermatitis to preservatives and different things in their cleansers. So keep it simple. But we do need to cleanse every day to get rid of a lot of that bacteria and that yeast that builds up and makes eczema worse. And also for these little ones who are wearing diapers, that area does need to, at a minimum, have water rush over it and cleanse bacteria and again, the yeast and dead skin cells. That area especially needs to be cleansed as well, right? Yes, absolutely. Anywhere you're having poop or pee, touch the skin, we definitely want to be washing that off every day because all of these things, poop, pee, saliva on the face, food, there's so much citrus and acids and the foods that we eat all the time. All of these things are irritants on our skin that we want to get off and then sort of restore that moisture afterwards with a good moisturizer. I think one of the best tips I learned on my pediatric dermatology rotation was the importance of applying the moisturizer when your skin is damp, right? Because it absorbs so much better. So right after the shower, pat the skin dry, but don't let it really get dry and then smear on the moisturizer, right? Did I get that part right? Yeah, I explain that to parents all the time. I say your moisturizer is, you know, obviously they add extra things like ceramides and things that help to moisturize, but really its main goal is to trap that moisture in and so, yeah, that's why we always say the best time to moisturize is right after the bath and then, you know, applying it onto damp skin. We call it the soak and smear technique is how I describe to patients and their parents just to really trap all of that moisture in. Yeah, so it doesn't get dehydrated. That's great. And you touched earlier on some products, but let's kind of go deeper because if anyone has ever walked down the beauty and cosmetic aisle at the drugstore, the grocery, it's overwhelming and the baby section for sure. And it's overwhelming for me and I'm a dermatologist. So can you give us some pointers on products to either avoid or things that we should be looking for in our products? 
it is so overwhelming. They really got us with the marketing, you know? I can't even keep up. And I often have patients or parents bring in, literally, I'm like, bring a grocery bag in full of all the products that you're using so we can look at the ingredients together. Because so much of the marketing these days can be a little misinformative, right? Just because it says baby on there does not necessarily mean it's the best thing for our kid's skin. And granted, I'm seeing the worst of it, right? So probably 90% of kids may not react, but I'm going to see all of the 10% of kids that do react to these products. But over time, I've just become a really big stickler for ingredients because I have so many kids that are referred to me for eczema and they're using steroid after steroid after steroid. And gosh, we make a couple of changes to some products and their eczema suddenly is much better, which is great. I'd love to remove an eczema diagnosis from somebody. So with regard to soaps, actually, I think that's sort of the my most frustrating product line. A lot of the baby soaps out there, I think probably one of the most popular surfactants, so what helps it rub along our skin easily and lather, one of the most popular ones out there that they include in baby soaps is derived from the coconut, actually. So that's why they love it. So they can say, this is all natural. And it's called cocomethylpropylbatine or CAPB. And this one they add to like all of our favorite brands like Cetaphil Baby has it, CeraVe Baby has it, Dove Baby, Baby Ganics, all of the ones that we think, oh, these are good ones. My dermatologist recommends Cetaphil. I'm going to get Cetaphil Baby. And they all have it. And it, it's actually really, really common irritant and a top 10 allergen in kids, especially in kids with eczema. And so that's like my first step. I'm like, are you using any baby soaps? And invariably everyone is, right? Because they think that that's going to be the safest. And so we immediately make that change. The one brand that doesn't have that in there is Vanna Cream. They have a baby cleanser and a regular. I don't find much distinction between the two, but that brand I do like. And then interestingly, I have patients switch away from the Cetaphil baby and go to just the regular Cetaphil Gentle Skin Cleanser. That ingredient list is much, much shorter, and that one tends to not have some of that additive. So that's sort of the one thing that I avoid in baby soaps. Aside from all of the usual, I always, always say avoid fragrance. And then for the soap, the cocomethylpropylbatine. Well, you posted that on your Instagram account a, a week or so ago. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like I just assumed Cetaphil making a baby product would use simple known allergens. But sure enough, there it was. And that really kind of blew my mind because I thought I could always recommend that product or that brand without having to worry. But you're so right. Like flip the bottle around, look at the ingredients. And if you're unsure, then talk to your dermatologist, especially your pediatric dermatologist, if your kid is having issues with their skin. I usually recommend just like simple Dove beauty bar. What are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, the bar, definitely. It's the liquid that you get into trouble with that they like to add that surfactant to. But yes, I say to patients, I always err on if there's a brand that has a bar and a liquid, the bar tends to be just a little bit simpler with regard to ingredients. And then the other, the frustrating piece on the Cetaphil baby too, is not only do they have that cocomethylpropylbatine, but they have like this laundry list of like 15 other ingredients in there that are all these sort of botanical ingredients. Again, going back to this sort of natural piece that everybody wants. And I get it. As a mom myself, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to put harmful chemicals on my kid. I want the natural stuff. 
Right. But the problem is, is you probably, when you see rashes or you see poison ivy this time of year, poison ivy is also natural, right? That doesn't mean we're trying to smear it all over our skin. And the issue is, is sensitizing our baby's skin to all of these botanicals and food products early on, going back to the original difference between our skin and their skin, it's so much thinner that penetration is so much more is actually harmful. They did an interesting study. Babies who were breastfed to a mom who used a peanut oil-based nipple cream actually had higher rates of peanut allergies later on. And so, and we also think that there may be something to sort of when kids get the eczema around their mouth, getting exposed to food on their cheeks, that sort of sensitizes their gut and makes them allergic food-wise to that food later on. And so, Having all of these different plants like lavender and calendula and wheat proteins and sweet almond oil and all of these things in our baby products that we're just smearing all over them every day into that thin, thin skin, probably sensitizing them. And they may not develop a rash right now, but a couple of years down the road, they may develop more allergies because they've been sensitized to them. That's a great point. And I see it everywhere. It's bad enough in adult products. And again, I usually recommend fragrance-free for adults. But again, if you don't have sensitive skin and you really like how something smells, that's fine. But these little ones, they don't need to be smelling like lavender and having all these botanicals on them. You're especially if they have atopic dermatitis, right? Like you mentioned, they are more prone to getting these allergic contact dermatitis rashes, which basically just means they're more prone to getting rashes to things that come into contact with their skin. So again, don't set them up for failure down the road. Just keep it really, really simple for them. They smell delicious already. They don't need to smell like lavender. I love how your analogy with poison ivy, I just did a podcast episode on that. It's so true. Poison ivy is... 100% natural, right? But no one wants that on their skin. I don't think they'll be putting that in any products anytime soon. Hopefully not. (laughs) So Dr. Massey, what about moisturizers? Do you have any recommendations for those kind of products for kids? Yeah, for sure. Same overarching theme is just simple is better and looking at the ingredient list and making sure it's nice and simple and not adding a lot of these botanicals and food-based products in it. I do have a lot of patients or a lot of parents that come in and are moisturizing with like coconut oil or olive oil, things like that. And that's kind of to the same point, right? Especially if your kiddo has eczema, already if they don't have eczema, their skin is thinner than you or I. But if they do have eczema, the barrier function is just not working as well. And so all of these things are getting absorbed more so and they're getting sensitized. And to kids that already have this predisposition, if you have eczema, we know that you've got a higher risk of food allergies too. So the last thing I want to do is sensitize through the skin any type of food-based product. So I try to avoid the coconut oils and the olive oils for that reason. And also there was a nice review in our journal, Pediatric Dermatology, maybe a year or two ago that did look at all the oils and just how well they moisturize. And they're okay. The one that kind of did actually the opposite was olive oil. So I definitely say avoid that one for sure. And then the other thing I explained to patients is a little bit like what we touched on this already. You know, your moisturizer, one of its main goals is to trap moisture in. And if it's thinner, it's not as occlusive. 
And so the ultimate moisturizer, like the OG moisturizer is Vaseline for me, <laughs> probably maybe for you too. Obviously it can be a little bit thick and heavy, but if you're really looking to trap a ton of moisture in, that is going to be your best bet. So I typically say Vaseline, a thicker moisturizing cream, like the Vanna Cream Moisturizing Cream. Those two are sort of my go-tos, at least in little babies, because they have the simplest ingredient list. As kids get older, I think the Cetaphil and the CeraVe Moisturizing Cream are great. Aquaphor is good too. The main downside to Aquaphor is, is the lanolin in it, right? And kids who have eczema, we know, have a slightly higher risk of a lanolin allergy. And so for that reason, I typically say just plain Vaseline is better. Do you ever get your parents who are worried about Vaseline because of being the, I don't want to say petroleum, but the hydrated petrolatum? And what do you say to reassure them that, no, it's safe? Yeah, it can be challenging because it sounds scary if it's made from petroleum. Right. But we know it's been used for decades and decades. We have lots and lots of sound experience with it as sort of an inert thing that we can put on our skin that's not absorbed systemically, that really just sits on the very top layer of skin, traps in that moisture. And because that is literally the only ingredient, we know that we're not getting sensitized to other things. Yeah, it's a mainstay in my practice and my household as well. And I think it's great for the irritant dermatitis that babies and kids can get around their mouths. There's a lot of spillage, right? And drooling. And I find rubbing that around the mouth can really help with that irritation. And also as a diaper rash ointment. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, that classic drool rash that we see a lot of when they first start developing salivary glands and taste buds, things really start drooling. And then obviously a little bit later when the teeth start to come through, tons of drool. I always recommend lots and lots of Vaseline as a barrier between the skin and whatever irritant is on the outside. And saliva is definitely one of them. I explained to parents, you know, we have all these digestive enzymes in our mouth to help digest food. And as soon as it sits on our skin, it starts digesting that too. And so a thick layer of Vaseline before all of the heavy drool times, that's like before nap time, bedtime and meal time, thick, thick layer. And that can really help a lot with that. And then yes, I love it in the diaper area too, just because while I'd love to be able to change the diaper the moment that we have pee or poop in there, just doesn't happen. And even though diapers are better at being more absorbent, things still sit on the skin and all of those can be really irritating and harsh. So adding that extra layer of protection with a little bit of Vaseline goes a long way with preventing diaper rashes. It's so simple. It's so cost effective. I think, and no one gets a rash from hydrated petrolatum and Vaseline, right? So it's really such a go-to. Now, as they get older, they may not want that such a, a greasy feel, but certainly when they're young and you're trying to really protect that skin, it's a go-to for sure. Now, what about sunscreen? Do little kids, babies need sun protection? Definitely need sun protection. It's a little bit tricky for babies, right? Because the official AAP recommendation for sunscreen is six months and up. Babies younger than six months still, we like to go outside, we like to take walks, and they still need sun protection. Of course, seeking shade, trying to avoid the times when the sun is at its worst, at 10 to 2 to 4 ish, obviously really important. But sometimes some areas aren't able to be protected, and sun protective like rash guards are great, obviously. 
but still we can't mummify them. And so for those small areas that continue to stay open, I think using a mineral-based, a zinc oxide-based sunscreen is thousand percent safe on the nose, on the cheeks, on the backs of the hands. If they're getting exposed, I think that's totally safe because remember zinc oxide is the main ingredient in diaper paste. So we slather that on without any concern every day. So totally safe, but obviously protective clothing and shade and avoiding peak sun hours is definitely the best. And that's typically what I recommend for most of my pediatric patients too, even as they get older. I think the zinc oxide and titanium dioxide, the mineral-based sunscreens are definitely the safest. Sitting on the top layer of skin, in short, just sort of blocking out those rays physically and really avoiding those potential irritations from the the chemical-based sunscreens. And what age is it safe to introduce chemical sunscreens or do you not recommend that? Any sunscreen's better than no sunscreen. So, you know, I think as long as they're, I would say two and up, I typically say, if they don't have any history of eczema and don't have sensitive skin and that's what you got, I think it's totally safe to do and would be much safer than a sunburn. Otherwise, in 40 years, they're going to come see you with a skin cancer. <laughs> um, so I think that's totally fine. But in an ideal world, we'd have one of the mineral-based ones just to avoid those potential irritants and allergens. Well, and nowadays they make such great mineral-based sunscreens that don't leave that white chalky residue. So you really can find some good ones. It's not like back when I was a kid and you'd have that big white strip on your nose when you went out. So there definitely are some really good ones out there. Now, there are sunscreens that say baby on them. And what I've noticed is that when you turn them around and you actually look at the ingredients, the ingredients are zinc oxide or titanium dioxide. And so do you tell people it has to say baby on it? Or again, is that just really a marketing ploy and they can just use any mineral-based sunscreen? It's mostly just marketing. I think, again, I try to train all my patients just to be looking at the ingredient list and know what you're looking for and just find the simplest list possible and looking for that zinc and titanium. I typically have patients try to find one that's at least kind of hitting that 10% zinc mark just to get really good broad spectrum coverage. And then they make such great different vehicles too. Like I love the sunscreen sticks. They go on like a little deodorant stick. I usually put one in my two-year-old's hand and she's kind of like trying to put some on while I'm going on the other side of her arm with another one. They tend to be just much less stickier. And and I think reapplication is always the hard part. The reapplication ends up being easier because your hands aren't covered in zinc afterwards and getting everywhere. So I, I really like the sticks. My kids are eight and nine and they love the sticks. In fact, they won't let me put anything else on their face. They do it. And then I rub in and double check. So The sticks are great. And especially for bigger kids or school age kids, they can really put it on themselves really effectively. So I think that's a great one. And again, we use a mineral stick and it's a little bit white, probably for my taste, but for them, they are happy as can be and they like it. So yeah, I mean, that's the most important thing, right? Finding one that your kid will wear and likes and if they can put it on themselves, even better. Absolutely. 
I'm also a big fan like you are with sun protective clothing. I think that is a great way to, again, make sure you're not missing those reapplications because that is where people really get into trouble with sunburns, right? They say the sunscreen's not working and I'm like, well, it's not that the sunscreen's not working. It just didn't get put back on or it was sweated off. So wearing those rash guards, my kids always have a rash guard. They always have a hat and it's just become what we do. So it's not even an issue. They just know when we go to the park, when we go to the pool, we put on our hats and it's really just become a habit at this point. So I think starting early and when the kids are young with these habits can really be impactful as they get older. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And it just gives us a little bit more grace. It gives us a little more time. So if you do kind of push that two hour mark with your reapplication, you know, you've got a little bit of protection. So yeah, I love the hats. I love the long sleeve shirts and the rash guards and you can get them for cheap now. I mean, obviously you can get the brand name stuff, but you can go on Amazon and get some really cute long sleeve shirts and rash guards for you and your kids for like less than 10 bucks. So that's totally worth it in my book. Yeah, absolutely. Target's got some really cute ones too. I saw the other day when I was at the beach. Yes. (laughs) Dr. Massey, this has been really informative and a lot of great information here. If you could just send our listeners and viewers off with sort of your top three takeaways for baby and little kid skincare, what would it be? So I guess my mainstay would be baby isn't better just because it's branded with the word baby doesn't mean it's better and neither is natural stick to a very simple ingredient list and try to avoid some of the botanicals especially if your kiddo has sensitive skin and eczema and if you're looking for sunscreen get the mineral-based zinc oxide and titanium dioxide but to buy yourself a little bit of extra time always have on the protective hats and, and the UPF clothing Yeah, great. And if you're lucky enough to have an amazing pediatric dermatologist in your community and in your town, be sure to get their advice, especially if your child is struggling with a skin condition like atopic dermatitis or rashes or sensitive skin. So that is all really great pearls and information, Dr. Massey. Thank you so much for being here. You have really amazing content on your social media platform on Instagram. So where can our listeners and viewers follow you if they want to keep getting great pediatric dermatology info? Thank you so much. Yes, I am on Instagram at Dr. Crystal, D-R-K-R-Y-S-T-A-L, and try to put out a lot of pediatric dermatology content because there aren't many of us out there. I'm the only one in about like a three-state radius. And so I just found it to be helpful to broaden our reach just because there's not very many of us out there. So follow along. You can DM me with any questions. I'm happy to help out as much as I can. Yeah, I know. I get a lot of great info from following you. And you're right, there aren't enough pediatric dermatologists out there for all the kids who need you. So at least this way, you can get some great information without having to fly to Wyoming to see Dr. Massey herself. So thanks so much for being here. And we'll see you guys all next week. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening to The Skin Reel. I hope it's been informative, educational, and perhaps a little entertaining. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to like and subscribe and share with a friend. Don't want to stop your learning just yet? Head on over to theskinreel.com for show notes, blog posts, and so much more. Until next time, skin friends.